So we're coming off of a couple of days of celebrating the birth of Jesus. And for some of us with kids coming into town, we're still doing that. So uh, celebrating Jesus continues. Now, actually, we've been doing that every day, right, for as long as we've been in existence. So uh, we're going to continue our series in The Greatest Stories Ever Told. And if you're following along in the book, that would be chapter 30 in the book. And the author's titled that, The Wilderness. Today, I've changed the title a little bit. I've changed it to The Battle in the Wilderness. What's it all about? The Battle in the Wilderness. What's it all about? So we're going to talk about a couple of things um, related to the temptation of Jesus. This morning, I, re- I talked about the first temptation, and some people were like, well, that With Jesus, that wasn't the first temptation. There was a temptation in the garden, right, with Adam and Eve. So we're talking about the first temptation of Jesus, not that one, although we will refer to that. So let's dig in. Matthew 4, if you want to open your Bible, we're going to be in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. And chapter 4 starts out pretty simply with the two words, then Jesus. Whenever we're reading a story, right, and we come across the first word that says then, that means something happened before, right? There's a lot before, not just the Old Testament, but even in the New Testament. So if we flip back a page, we go to Matthew 3, and I have uh, starting with verse 13 on the slide, but I'm going to back up just a little bit. As I was thinking about this, I want to include a little more. So the first part won't be on your slide, so bear with me. Right? We'll get to that. I'm going to go back to 11. I baptize, this is John the Baptist talking, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave or to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. And then we get to verse 13. Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. Those of you that know the story, and you know a little bit about John the Baptist, I see some people smiling, He's an interesting character. Some might call him eccentric, right? The Bible tells us he wore a big camel fur coat and he ate a delicacy of locusts, grasshoppers, and whatever else he could find out in the wilderness. So here's John. And John, the authors in the book, refer to John. The, when I say book, I mean the 52 greatest stories. They say, they say that John would remind you of the people who are running around at a concert or something with the big signs that say, turn and be saved. This was, that's how eccentric, that's how vocal John the Baptist was, right? And he introduces Jesus, right? He's got the crowds coming for baptism on the bank of the Jordan, all these people, and then all of a sudden he says, look. Look. There's the Messiah the Lamb of God, the one who came to save the world for you and I, a gift 
for you and I, the gift that we've been celebrating. And John also said that, as you heard as I read earlier, that he wasn't worthy to even carry Jesus' sandals, right? So here he comes, Jesus, to be baptized by John. He goes down in the water, and John says, or does, he tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? So they're having this conversation. Jesus and John the Baptist and John's going, Jesus, come on. You know, you know I'm not worthy. You know I'm not worthy. I, I, I'm supposed to serve you. And Jesus says, no. No. The Lamb of God came to serve us. And so he goes on to say, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. Wise move. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. This is what theologians call a Trinitarian event. What does that mean? The Trinity. We have all together at the same time the Father speaking, the Son there being baptized, and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. A Trinitarian event. It's a celebration. All is good. Things are great. Right? What do you do after baptism? You get together, you have a party, right? You have food. Not this time. Not this time. We get to where we're talking in Matthew 4, what the point is about today. You see, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. Led to the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. No party, no celebration, no gathering, no food. In fact, no food, get this, for 40 days and 40 nights he fasted, and he became very hungry. You think? 40 days, that would mean if I started fasting today, and I've tried intermittent fasting, but if I, tried, I started fasting today, I would fast until February 4th. Yeah, very hungry, right? And let's talk about the wilderness. Wilderness is translated in the Bible over 300 times. Over 300 times, the Bible talks about the wilderness. It could be this wild area. It could be the desert. It could be barren land. It could be places filled with wild beasts, uh, darkness, right? Bad weather. But it could also be the spiritual wilderness, challenges where we're being attacked, right? Times in our life where we have strife, financial things, whatever it is, the spiritual wilderness. So Jesus is going to the wilderness, and then who's there at a time when he is hungry, tired, weak, maybe lonely, right? I mean, I can only imagine what that might be like, and who comes? The devil. 
and we refer to the devil as Satan, Lucifer, the evil one, darkness, whatever, whatever you want to call it, but he shows up in an opportune time. And that's usually when he shows up. That's usually when the evil spirit shows up, when we're in those same dark, challenging times. So we're in the battleground, in the wilderness. And, and when we have an epic battle like this today, you might hear, ladies and gentlemen, here we are for the battle of time. In this corner, we have, uh, we won't talk about him, but in this corner, we have the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Not that kind of battle. There's nobody there. There's no one there. Just Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And then who shows up? No audience, no crowds cheering. Just he and the devil. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Notice he starts with if. All right, Jesus shows up, or excuse me, the devil shows up, God is hungry, and he questions him, starts out with a, with a question, if, if you are the son. And this idea of temptation. Temptation is also translated from a Greek word called parazzo. Parazzo. And it actually translates a little better as test or trial. So there's some, you know, some theologians and commentaries speak about whether Jesus could be actually tempted. Is he really being tested? Is it really a trial for him? Because when we think about temptation for you and I, we're usually tempted to do something selfish, right? For us, not for good. Not for some good reason, we're tempted to do something that's, that's for us or selfish. And so the question is, can Jesus be tempted or is he just being tested? Tested in a time when the devil finds him or thinks he's weak. He says, come on, Jesus. Come on. just what? You can do this, right? You can do this. You can turn those stones into bread. Not a problem. What's it going to hurt? There's nobody here anyway. There's no one watching. And Jesus says, no. The scripture says, or other translations say, it is written, right? People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus turns right back to the Father. Right back. To the Father. Doesn't matter how hungry he is, doesn't matter how desperate he is, right back to the Father. That brings us to fill in number one. God provides all that we need. The scripture tells us, Jesus told us, God provides all that we need, both physical and spiritual. Pastor Brad talks about it all the time. You've heard him do it, he does that. Jesus is right there. You just have to let him in. He provides. And I, there, I thought of some scripture, 1 John 6.35, as I was studying this. 
Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Philippians 4.19. And the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. The gift that we've celebrated for the last few days. Again, Jesus overcomes, and we know who provides for us, both physically and spiritually. But the devil's not done. So we go to the second temptation of Jesus. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Starts out again with if. And then he tries a little trick. He's going to use some of Jesus' ammunition and he goes to the scripture. Problem is, he has a misquote. Right? Right? How many times have you heard people use a verse out of the Bible for their own purpose and not for God's purpose, right? They're using it to benefit themselves, and this is exactly what Jesus is doing. He left some things out. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be alert, for the enemy prowls like a roaring lion, and he's wise, right? And he knows, but he misquotes. He uses it wrong. And it was Psalm 91, by the way, if you're wondering, so you can look at that. And again, Jesus responds. The scriptures also say, or it is written, you must not test the Lord your God. You see, it's not about bartering some sort of deal with him, with God, right? Oh, if I just, if I go to church a couple more times and if I pray Every day if I say my prayer, and then if I go do this, then surely, surely God will do this. That's bartering, right? And that reminds me of a story that we, we read in a book. Um, it's called Christianity 101, and the authors are talking about, uh, how many of you like Chinese food? Oh, yeah, a lot of people Chinese food. So you get to the Chinese food, and what is everybody waiting for? That little nasty cookie that you get to at the end. <laughs> Right? It's crunchy. It's bland. We're not sure what's in it. We don't know how long it's been in the bag. Right? But we don't have yeah, And we pull out that little white piece of paper that says, oh, here's your lucky numbers. Or, or you're surely going to find good things. Or treasure will come to you. Or you will find this person. Or whatever. And then we laugh. And we joke. And we say, what does your say? What does your say? Then we crumble it all up and we throw it in the garbage. Why? Because it doesn't matter, right? The person, whoever crafted, whoever he or she is that writes those little sayings and shoves it in the cookie, we, they don't know us. We don't know them, right? Who cares? Crumble it up and throw it away. What does matter is right here. And we don't, we read it and we don't crumble it up and throw it away because we know it's, it's the truth. Because God gave Jesus to take away the sins of the world for us, right? 
So the devil's trying. He takes Jesus to the temple, and the, and the commentaries tell us the temple on the northwest corner is super high, and so you're looking down into the valleys. So Jesus is tearing over the end, and it's not like a couple of steps here where you could just jump off, right? He's looking down into the valley, and the devil says, come on. This would make, you would be famous. Nobody knows you yet anyway. John, John the Baptist just introduced you. No one knows who you are. People will know you. They'll know what you stand for. They'll know why you're here if you just do it and we'll, you know, we'll just make this big scene. And, of course, Jesus says, no, I'm not going to test the Lord. That's not what this is about. So he reaffirms that we are not to use God for our selfish purposes, for our own, what about me? So our second fill-in. God opposes pride. God opposes pride. And pride is exactly what the devil was appealing to in that second temptation, to the pride. To make, make it about Jesus. Show the world who you are. Which, which took me to James 4, 6. And he gives grace generously, as the scriptures say. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that's reaffirmed in Proverbs eleven two. Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. With humility comes wisdom. When I was thinking about this, I came across a quote by C.S. Lewis. And he said that humility, being humble, does not equal thinking less of yourself. Thinking less of who you are. Instead, humility is thinking of ourselves less. Thank you. Somebody else knew that. Thinking of ourselves less. Jesus knew that. He came to teach, to model. Last week, Pastor Brad talked about the... I think it were the R's, that he was the revealer and reigner. Jesus came to reveal for us who God is, to model and to teach us. And Jesus even went on to say, when we're, when we're prideful and we're not humble, we don't just hurt ourselves, we lose ourselves. We don't just hurt ourselves, we lose ourselves. But they're not done. So we go to the third, verse 8. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Showed him all the kingdoms in the world. I could imagine doing this on Google Earth, right? Seeing the kings of the world. Not sure how they did it, but they did it. I'm guessing what theologians say is that he was, they were standing on a mountain and overlooking all the cities that they could see. Right? And all of the lights and the splendor. And the devil says, notice he didn't say if anywhere in this. He goes right to, I will give it all to you, he said. All you have to do is just kneel down and worship me. That's all you got to do. Just once. Nobody's here. We're out in the, we're out in the wilderness. No one's, no one's showing us. No, or watching us, no one's looking. Let's, you know, if you just do it, I can give it all to you. 
After all, isn't that what everybody wants, to have it all, you know, the power? Jesus says, matter of fact, Jesus, as you can imagine, he's starting to get a little miffed now, right? I think he's getting angry because listen to his language. Verse 10, get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of it. So he rebukes the devil. He reaffirms that he's there to serve, to serve his father and to serve us, to give his life for us. Third, fill in. Greatness, power, and glory belongs to God. Belongs to God. Power, greatness, power, and glory belongs to God. First Chronicles 29.11 says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and in the earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom, not Satan's. We adore you as the one who is over all things. And Zechariah 14.9 affirms, And the Lord will be king over all the earth, and on that day there will be one Lord, His name alone will be worshipped. And then finally, Luke 12, 15. Then he said, beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. The glory is his. Our lives are not measured by how much we own. This new, this kingdom, God's kingdom, is much different than it was back then when this was being written. If you think about back in the Old Testament and what, where we've come in the, in the greatest stories, we had the greatest stories about different people, ordinary people like you and I, all doing things as part of God's plan that all point to Jesus. Coming through the Old Testament into the new this kingdom would be turned upside down. Not one where the kings that we would expect in these times who have all the power and all the glory and all the riches and everything they want to a new king who has none of that. All he has to offer is himself. Himself so that we can be saved. An upside down kingdom that People there were having trouble understanding. We understand it because we've been living it and reading, hopefully reading in the Bible. But it's much different than it was then. This is all new. It was about me, 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 and all my power and all my glory and what kingdoms I can rule and reign, not for Jesus. Which brings us to number four. The last fill-in. And we talked about it at the beginning. I told you I titled this, A Battle in the Wilderness, What's It All About? You know what it's all about? You. It's about you. This epic battle, this confrontation, this temptation, if you want to call it, this trial, whatever you want to call it, was about you. It's about me, it's about us. 
It's why he came. It's the new, not the old. This temptation, this testing, it is an epic battle. Think about it. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's about you. It's about you. Why is it such an epic battle? No one was there. Why does, why does Matthew, Mark, and Luke, both, all three, tell us about it? Why? Because it's so important. Remember that I talked about the first temptation. Let's go back. Right? Genesis. Adam and Eve in the garden. Hopefully you know the story. Don't eat, right? Don't eat the fruit. But they did. The serpent came and said, oh, come on. And they gave in. Human. Human error gave in. Sin begins. Darkness enters the world, right? Failure. The test. It's failed. Now, 2,000 years later, the epic battle in the desert, in the wilderness. Who's the reigning champion? Jesus. No failure. No failure. Came exactly, did exactly what he was supposed to do. Jesus wins. We win. Now, does that mean that it's all going to be good? No. Let's go back to how else, the other part of the story I told you about, and that was after the baptism, it turned right to the wilderness, right to the ugly, right to the challenge, right to the hunger. John 16.33 says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, here on this earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. You will have many trials and sorrows. In other words, you're going to have your own wilderness. Spiritually, physically, or otherwise. But take heart. Take heart. Because I have overcome the world. No matter where you are at today, no matter what you're fighting, whatever temptation you have, whatever evil is lurking, darkness, doesn't matter. You can take heart that Jesus came to overcome the world. He's the answer. He's the reason. And this battle is all about you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day and thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the season. And most of all, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for all the guidance and blessings you bestow upon us. And Father, I just want to pray today for those here in this room and those that are at home watching or wherever they are in this world that are in the wilderness, Lord, spiritual, physical, financial, marital, death, children, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, Lord. You know 
You know the wilderness they're in, and you know the challenges. Comfort them, Lord, and be with them. Give them the strength of Jesus. He modeled it for us. Give, him that, give us that strength that we too can defeat the enemy no matter where we're at in our walk. We thank you, Lord. We ask you to bless us. In Jesus' name we pray.